write down how much a month you're paying on salary. Just salary, forget the taxes, but just salary. And for most people, it's a significant sum of money. If not, the largest is certainly in the top one or two expenses for a business, right? Overhead walks on two feet. And yet, if you look at them and then say, well, if you're really honest with yourself, what level of productivity do you think you're actually getting out of people? Like of the eight hours they're with you, how productive are they? And by productive, I mean, not actually generating value. I don't mean just doing a job. I mean, generating value, contributing value. For how many of those eight hours are they contributing value? Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. Episode 131 of the Business Mastermind Podcast. Welcome. I hope you've been enjoying the book launch mini-series this week with Daniel Priestley, James Burt, James Lavers, and my introduction to the book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. If you haven't grabbed yourself a copy, go across to www.surviveandthrive.cc for your free copy of the book. Just pay the postage and packaging and I'll get the book straight out to you, surviveandthrive.cc. As you can tell, I'm super excited. It's a good number of years of work in this and 25 years worth of experience in helping businesses, large and small, and the teams and the people within those to scale their businesses, to improve in performance and to have a bigger impact. To move away from the survival aspect that so many people may have found at times in their business uh, facing and moving into Thrive. And particularly at a time when there is so much uncertainty You'll find that the strategy compass at the model at the heart of the Thrive section of the book is the thing that can give you and does give you certainty about getting your business back on track and back into growth, back into thriving. So go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. Now our conversation in today's podcast is with fellow business growth expert, fellow business growth mentor, Paul Avings. We deep dive into the importance of teams and about how you can create a team where everybody is performing at their best by them spending time doing the things that they're most in flow, where they contribute the greatest to the team. We talk about how to use that to optimize your organizational structure, your recruitment, when best to hire. And Paul shares with us his five-step process, his five-step model for building high-performing teams. Straight into my interview now with Paul Avins. Hi, welcome back to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Today, I have business strategist, growth mentor, friend, and um, former uh, business partner and mentor for me, uh, Paul Avins. Paul, welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Gavin, it's an absolute privilege to be on the show today. So thanks ever so much, man. And I'm, I'm so pleased because I'm doing a little uh, launch series because um, the book Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business is now live, launched on the 30th of July. And one of the things I've done to celebrate this is actually bring onto the show people who've had an instrumental part to play in my own personal development and I just wanted in professional development so I'm delighted to be joined by Paul who I've learned an awful lot from and he is an absolute superstar at what he does oh, so welcome thank you man I appreciate that it means a lot so we're going to talk about 
teams and we're going to talk about the importance about flexibility in teams but also how to get high performance out of teams and we're going to also link that to um the tensions of the journey around people returning to work after a period of absence due to furlough and the cultural sort of uh, alignment then between people that have already been working hard and yes. not had any furlough. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to frame this up, uh, I'll go back and tell a very quick story if I, because I think it's relevant as to why I've become so kind of passionate and focus and uh, sort of focus on the team's component. Right. So, um, so obviously uh, being business coaching, training, consulting for over 17 years, but before that was an entrepreneur built three really successful businesses, lost two spectacularly, um, and then uh, I was I was stuck in this mindset and this belief that I talk about, which is that uh, the media, but also so, social media definitely, but also the media widely tends to talk about self-made. You're a self-made man. You're a self-made millionaire. You're a self-made success. Where the truth of the matter is that none of us are ever self-made, right? Nobody, right? You can take a, a massively successful tennis superstar, um, Andy Murray is peak. He still has a team of five or six that he travels the world with, right? So nutritionists, uh, masseuses, um, you've got, you know, like he uh, trainers, personal trainers, tennis coaches. You know, he takes a team around with him. And if you look at any great person, anybody who's achieved anything in any walk of life, they never did it by themselves. And yet I fell foul of the trap of the, hey, if it is to be, it's up to me kind of mentality. And um, certainly when we first got into touch together, I was very much invested in that. It was, it was, it was very much coming from a place of ego rather than a place of service. And it was like, look, I'm going to make this happen no matter what, whatever it takes, that kind of mentality. Um, and I think, you know, the result of that was that it, you know, ended up nearly literally killing me. You know, I ended up getting seriously ill. Um, the business went, uh, uh, went under as a result, you know, became very ill. The business went under, you know, lost hundreds of thousands of pounds, but not only that, nearly lost my life, suffered a serious asthma attack and resulting in a, in a kind of cardiac arrest for four and a half minutes. Um, and if you try and hold your breath for 30 seconds, it gets interesting. Try and hold your breath for four and a half minutes. It gets downright painful. So, you know, and the only reason I'm here and I'm able to share with you today and, and tell that story is because of an amazing team of paramedics who turned up at my house at 7.30 that night and had one clear goal, but were completely and utterly in alignment around what they were there to do. They weren't there to make sure they kept the house clean and tidy. They weren't there to, you know, they were there to save my life. And at the age of 42, I was, I was in the hands of people who were unbelievably capable, um, skilled, uh, driven, focused, but also everybody was able to adapt to the situation. Everyone knew their role. Everyone knew what they were there to do. And during that four and a half minutes, what happened in my, for me was that I had a pivotal shift in the way I thought about life. And, you know, in terms of going, look, life up to that point had been all about me, 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 me. What could I get? What could I achieve? What could I, you know, what could I build? And what I realized during that experience was that life needed to turn on its head and it'd be all about we. What can we do? What can we do to serve other people as an organization, as a business? What, how do I build teams? And if I'm going to go forward from here and, and live the next 42 years of my life, you know, in a better way with a better outcome. How am I going to do that? It's got to be about building teams. So, you know, luckily, you know, six years down the road, I'm fitter, I'm healthier, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life mentally, physically, but I've also managed to build three successful businesses during the, the following six years. And the only reason that's worked is because of the focus on going, look, I need to understand where I contribute the most value. And then I need to build a team around me that does everything that I'm not good at. And I think sometimes we get seduced by this, belief that you know we've got to be good at everything in order to be successful and the truth and it's just and it's something that holds a lot of us back and i think you might agree with me on this that 
too many entrepreneurs think they've got to be good at everything or they're sure. somehow not worthy of success. Where the reality is actually you've got to figure out what you're great at, what your unique gifts are, what you're able to contribute the most value to the team, the customers, the business are doing. And then everything else outside of that, you want to figure out how to build a team to deliver all those other components. Because the very thing that you're not good at is the thing that someone else excels at. And it was that shift in thinking. It was the shift in thinking that led me to go, look, there's got to be a better way to build a team. There's got to be a model for that. Let's go spend the next three years of my life studying high-performing teams in the sport, in military, you know, in business, in, in science, and go, what are they all doing that businesses are not learning from? And you can see this because when, when you see a high-performing team, whether it's usually in sport, we get awed by it, don't we? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Absolutely. We just sit there and go, how did Leicester win the world? How did that happen? It's like, it's like yeah, and yeah. everybody goes, that's just incredible. And it, when you see a team actually in what we call the flow zone, in that space, you know, where everything is working and it looks effortless and it looks, per and you, it's, it's a jaw-dropping experience. And you look at the results and go, how did they do that? How did a team with less resources, less talent, smaller payroll, beat some of the best in the world? How did that happen, right? And that's, and it's fascinating to me that business hasn't really up until now taken the time to unpack those lessons from sport, from the military, from special forces, from, you know, from organizations who have built themselves on this concept of high performing teams, you know, and, and that's where I, that's where I became passionate because it was the single biggest block that I was seeing with clients. And you've probably seen the same thing where single block that was stopping most people scaling their business was the fact that it was getting stuck around them and they didn't have a competent, capable, uh, team around them that could scale it and it therefore they got, it became stagnant because it was all on that I, I don't know if that relates and it's a bit of a rant to start on but I felt it was just worth framing the discussion with that experience and how do you think that most entrepreneurs who had held that view did they get to a point where they have that threshold moment like you do when they got, then they realize if I don't change if I don't start to delegate I don't engage and get the best out of a team then um, I'm not going to have a business. I think it's a great question. I, I think I'm always reminded of one of my mentors, uh, Brendan Bouchard used to say to me, he said, you know, that change happens when one of two things occur. Either something comes into your life that forces you to wake up and think, or something comes from within you that wakes you up. And usually the within you is some kind of life altering, life threatening. It's usually emotional relationship wise or financial or health. There's some kind of massive pattern interrupt that, makes you stop and look at what you're doing and how you're living your life going, I can't carry on this way. Um, and I think for most entrepreneurs, the reality is we tend to wait till we've hit the wall before we pay attention. Yeah. 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 The trouble is some, some of us don't survive the crash. You know, I, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm in a small group of people, you know, under 45 who survive at home heart attacks. That's like 2% of the population make it. So like, you know, if you wait till you hit the wall, I'd always, I'd always rather help people avoid hitting the wall rather than wait, you know, most of them wait until they hit the wall till they realize what they're doing isn't sustainable. So if somebody's recognizing that they're not getting the best um, performance out of a team, they're not playing uh, adequately to the strengths of each member of the team. In other words, they're not creating a high performing team. Where do they start in order to improve that? Okay. So let, let's, um, 
Great question. And, and let's just take a step back for a minute and kind of deconstruct some of the tools that we're still using to build teams that I don't think work, right? So like organizational charts, they, they work when you're in an industrial age mentality where everything is really static and, and yeah, great. But if you, put, if you put people in a box, okay, you fundamentally stop them growing, you stop them flowing and you stop the communication working, right? So the whole idea of putting people in a box doesn't work. If you put Water in a box, it becomes stagnant. It's the same thing with human beings. And actually, we need to look at an organizational chart from a totally different point of view and talk about flow. Flow of information, flow of capital, flow of ideas. You've got to, we've got to start looking at the idea of this concept of flow because organizations are built on flow. Personal performance is built on flow. Some of us are at our best in the morning. Some of us are at our best in the afternoon. That's a flow. That's an energy flow, right? And it's about... It's about sitting down and first of all, you've got to understand who you've actually got on your team. Because the, the horrific thing for most business owners when I talk to them is, I say, I, I say this, and, and your listeners to this show, would, here's a really simple exercise if you employ people, right? Work down how much a month, write down how much a month you're paying on salary. Just salary. Forget the taxes, but just salary. And for most people, it's a significant sum of money. If not, the largest is certainly in the top one or two expenses for a business, right? Overhead walks on two feet. And yet, if you look at them and then say, well, if you're really honest with yourself, what level of productivity do you think you're actually getting out of people? Like of the eight hours they're with you, how productive are they? And by productive, I mean not actually generating value. I don't mean just doing your job. I mean generating value, contributing value. For how many of those eight hours are they contributing value? Most people go, well, if I'm lucky, maybe 50. And I'm like, okay, think about this for a second. You've, you've got an incredibly high, you know, you've got a resource there sat in your business that you are tolerating operating at 50%. Now, the scary thing is that all the research into productivity says that most companies are less than that. Oh, less, significantly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 30% in some cases yeah. in some economies, right? Which is terrifying. If, you, if you're a manufacturing business and you had a machine that was sat in your warehouse, <laughs> right, and it was running at 40, 50, 60% of its capability, you'd fire the manager of that machine or you would hire an engineer to come in and fix it. You wouldn't tolerate that. You'd want to know what was wrong. And yet, because we view people as these complex things that we can't quite figure out and it's a bit mushy and it's a bit difficult and, you know, Joe's problematic and Brenda, Brenda's prickly, we just avoid it. People avoid it because it's complicated. And, and, and my kind of mission is to go, look, it doesn't have to be. It starts, first of all, with understanding who you are as an entrepreneur and then, then understanding who you need around you. Second, right? stop trying to build it because every, every entrepreneur is going to need a different team based on who they are. You need a different team to me because you've got a very different profile to me. And therefore, you know, we're going to build a team differently. This is why the idea of one size fits all for teams doesn't work just doesn't work because it depends on who the leader is. Branson's going to build a different business, different team around him to Gates, you know, to Warren Buffett because they're different people and therefore they need different people around them to bring out the best in, in them. And yet we tend to start by going, oh, who do we need? Hang on a second. Who are you? First of all, who mm -hmm. are you? Right? Where, what do you like? What do you gray out? What are your talents? What is the stuff you're the best at? What's the stuff that if you were not getting paid to do it, you could do it eight hours a day and have more energy at the end of the day than at the beginning of the day. For me, it's start with the question of like, what is, what is your, what is your flow? What I call the flow zone. Like if you like, when is right down when you've had a day and you've gone home at the end of the day with more energy than you started the day. With. Like that's a, that's a flow zone day. And like, and you know, if it's a no zone, no go day, a no flow day, it's like three types of flow, like peak flow, low flow and no flow. You know, if it's a no flow day, because you, you, you literally either, drinking sugary drinks to get through it, 
you're eating carbs or, you know, fundamentally you're procrastinating all day and you go home at the end of the day and go, I didn't achieve anything and I'm exhausted and I lie on the couch shattered. Right. And like, you get signs about this stuff. It's just most of us choose to ignore them because I did for years. You know, I was, you know, I'll, I'll do the entrepreneurial push through, drink, drink energy drinks three a day and I'll push through and I'll, you know, that's what it takes, you know, whatever it takes. And, and like life isn't like that. It's, it's actually supposed to work with you, not against you. Just most of us have forgotten that or bought into a myth that if it's supposed to be hard, it's supposed to be really difficult. It's supposed to be painful. Okay, if that's the journey you want to go on, then watch out because it's going to hurt. Are you tired of the instability of your business? Do you want to stop cash flow challenges, achieve stability in profit, and build a business that you could sell? Do you want to introduce strategies that provide certainty of income, reinvigorate you and your team so that you put an end to plateauing and get your business thriving again? In every sector, in every country, in every state of the economy, there are always businesses that book the trend and outperform the market. It is possible to turn your business around and grow the profitability, reach and impact of your business and put your business back on course for a worthy exit or rewarding future. In my new book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, I show you how. I wrote this book for business owners who are putting so much into their business at the expense of time with their family and on their health and who are not getting the results that they desire. I have brought 25 years of experience working in businesses large and small and combining the disciplines of business strategy with mindset with scaling a business to bring you a proven way to scale your business with certainty. To grab your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. I'll cover the cost of the book. You just cover the cost of shipping and handling. So head over to surviveandthrive.cc to get your free copy of the book. So to go to specifics then, how can a leader, a business owner, get more of their people, A, to get more in high flow, peak flow, but also therefore improve their productivity. Okay. So let's, let's, let's give a couple of um, practical tools that people could use. Right. So first thing is just teach. um, Obviously we'll share some resources at the end, if that would serve you and the audience. But I think for me, it's about saying, look, start by understanding yourself. What is it that you do really well? What is your highest level of contribution to the team? You know, is it driving things and activating stuff, getting moving? It's what we talk, talk about called the activating energy. Is it the activating energy? Or are you more inspiring energy where you actually, your value is, is to coach and work with other people and bring out the best in them? Or is your, is your contribution that you're sustaining energy where you're just helping everything happen and making sure that it actually gets done and followed through and finished? Or are you actually more the kind of refining energy where your value is analyzing numbers, detailed data, and coming in with insights from that? Figure out which one of those four you are first, and then sit down with your team and say, right, look, I want you to, I want you to measure yourself over the next week, two weeks, and as a percentage, write down at the end of every day, how in flow were you? How, how in the zone were you? Sports people talk about it being in the zone. How in the zone were you about doing things that actually really were, were, your, were your kind of massive area of skill, enjoyment, and contribution? And when you know that, write down what you were doing when you felt that. Now, at the end of the end of two weeks, you're going to have some really interesting data. Now you can start to sit down and go, okay, great. So of your week, how much of the week was doing, what was the stuff that you were really great at doing? 
and you loved doing. And then what's the stuff that was just really draggy, really hard, really painful? Now, when you put that on a flip chart and then start to say, well, who in the room loves doing all the stuff that John doesn't like or Joe doesn't like or Emma finds hard, right? And now start to swap, swap things around so that you just reorganize the roles to meet the people to match the people rather than trying to get people to fit into boxes of this job requires this person to do this. Let go of that attachment and start saying, look, actually my job as a leader is to put people in flow more of the time. That's mm -hmm. my job. My job is to get them in the zone of high performance and productivity. And here's the thing, Gavin, when you do this, a couple of amazing things start to happen. Firstly, <laughs> staff retention goes through the roof like 30, 40%, right? So you get less staff turnover. Why? Because people love their job. They love what they're doing most of the time. They don't want to leave. Why would I leave if I love what I'm doing? So your recruitment costs go down. Every time you recruit somebody and it doesn't work out, it's the equivalent to a year's worth of salary. Hmm. So like you suddenly slash a load of money that you're wasting because you're having to recruit. That goes out the window. Um, customer service levels go up significantly because people are passionate about where they work and where they live. So they, they come from a place of positivity and enjoyment and service. So you get better customer service experience. And bottom line is profits go up by about 17% when you've got an engaged team. That's not my data, that's external validated data by a major big four accounting firm. So like 70% responds in better profits by working out where who on your team should be doing what and re not being afraid to redesign your business around the people that you've got so that everybody's having better contribution and more fun and enjoying what they're doing. <laughs> so, and it shouldn't be rocket science, should it? It shouldn't be. You go, well, that shouldn't be rocket science. But, it, but it, when you actually deploy it, it it's game-changing stuff for people. It changes people's lives, right? I finally realized why certain things in my life had failed. And it wasn't because it, I was broken or there was something wrong with me, right? It was just, I was doing a business or a job or role in my career that was totally not my flow zone. And therefore I was never likely to succeed. It's, it's like swimming against the current. If you go to work and swim against the current for eight hours a day, you honestly think you're going to stay doing that job or be successful at it. Not really. <laughs> and that's where my passion comes from it. Cause so many people are wasting their life doing a job or running a business that's been designed to consume the life they have rather than help them create the life they want. So evidently at the point of recruitment, you need to, you've, you've got a profile for a job. You need to be recruiting somebody that's a good fit, that that fulfillment of that job is them in flow yep. or with the teams that you already have incumbent within your organization, you tweak or flex their role. So they spend more of their time doing the stuff that, that not only the inflow, but they, they love doing and they naturally perform at their best at. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and the, the most important question with recruitment is to ask what contribution do you want this person to make to the business and the team, right? Yeah. That's the first question you should ask. Now, we're actually about to launch um, a free online tool that will launch in the next couple of weeks or so, um, where you'll be able to go on and take, uh, fill in some questions. And actually, it will tell you what, what profile you actually need. That's being launched um, in the next month or so. But what just to help companies. But here's the thing that we've learned, Gavin, is that when you sit down with your existing team and, and, and you know, great, if you've got the profile that we use, brilliant. If not, just work out, as I said, when they're in flow, when they're not, then you work that out. Nine times out of 10, you find that actually straight away, you don't necessarily need to recruit because actually reorganizing the roles and reorganizing the responsibilities means that people end up bumping their performance by 30, 40, 50% which in terms of productivity, which means suddenly you realize actually we don't need another person right now. We can, we can supplement with some outsourcers or we can supplement with somebody from the gig economy. You know, we can do that 
and actually we don't need to recruit. Nine, you know, nine times out of 10 people recruit because they would rather recruit than actually f figure out how to get the people they've got to perform at a better level, which is just crazy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, love recruitment companies and we do lots with them. But the reality is most people haven't had never had any training on how to recruit or interview or write a job description or do any of those things. And therefore they wonder why nine times out of 10, they might as well flip a coin and they've got as a good odds as getting the right person as that. So, so what you're advocating actually is each role becomes tailored to bespoke to the individual so that you're enabling the individual to play at the best. Yes. Yeah. Totally, completely. And if you, so if you write, and, and here's the really, this, this is just so funny. See if you resonate with this. Most people who, if they run small businesses, let's, you know, because that's the world you and I operate in. So like maybe 250 people or less, and they write the job ad. They'll write a job ad that they would respond to. But that could be the complete opposite of what actually the, per, the person they need. So if you need somebody in the business who's brilliant on customer service, who's brilliant on, you know, that sustaining energy, making sure things happen, they show up on time, they're there all the time, they, they come from a place of service, but you're an activating entrepreneur who loves to hustle, get stuff done, you'll write a job ad that will say something like, hey, do you want to join our fast growing dynamic company? Do you want to be part of a high energy team? Do you, do you, and all the person you're actually trying to attract reads when they read that is, Chaos, craziness, stress, pressure. I don't want to go anywhere near that company. <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And they don't apply. And then you go, oh, I can never get good people. No, no. You, you don't understand how to write adverts that attract the people that you want. It's not, mm. There are tons of great people out there, now more than ever, right? Yeah, for sure. So, gosh, I mean, amazing talent pool at the moment, right? That's one of the great, you know, one of the things that if you've got the courage to go into the market and recruit right now, there's some incredible talent out there. Clients of mine picking up amazing talent at ridiculous rate, you know, it's in terms of people that they're hiring. But you've got to come from that place of, I want to write an advert that's going to connect with a sustaining energy person. So it's going to sound different. You know, say, do you like to work in a stable environment? Do you like to serve customers? Do you like to make sure that everything happens on time? Do you like to make sure that promises are kept? Do you like to make sure that your team is fully supported and engaged? Do you like to make sure that customers always have an ear, friendly ear to listen to and can pick up the phone to talk to you anytime? And now they go, yeah, yeah, I want to work there. That's where I want to work. And it's like, this changes the game because it's like people forget that when you're recruiting, you're, you, it's marketing, right? Recruiting is marketing. It's a marketing function. You've got to think about it. You're marketing the business, the role, the position, the opportunity. But most people don't think about it like that at all. In my experience, anyway. So as an organization, so they've had people in boxes in an organization chart. They followed that old um, in industrial revolution age and hierarchy, which had come along, of course, from military structures in the past. Um, they now recognize that there's a lot more that they can do by aligning people's worlds to what they are naturally in flow at, naturally good at. That will prompt a rewording of job specs or job def role definitions. Yes, potentially, but it's about, I always think, um, it's about getting the team dynamics right. It's like people get hung up about what am I, what's my job title, what's my role. It's like, no, no, look, actually, what's your contribution here? What are we trying to get, you know, the, so like, and it can change people's identity. So Becky, in my, in my organization who runs events, you know, we used to just call her events coordinator. And I was like, no, 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 it needs to relate to what's the experience we're trying to give the customer. So then we changed her job role to head of awesome events. Well, if you call somebody head of awesome events, it's very hard for them to run a mediocre and average event, right? Because the intention is, your head of awesome events. This event better be awesome, right? Yeah. So like suddenly what happened was her identity shifted. She was head of awesome events. And it's like, now every conversation is, how are you going to make this event awesome? 
not just how are you going to make it good, but how are you going to make it awesome, right? So it's like we we roles. This is the whole kind of paradigm shift for me. Is like they've got to resonate with the profile of the person that's doing them. That's a key piece, right? So like whether you're head of innovation, head of service, head of support, head of customer engagement, whatever the title is that that works for that person, that's more important that they feel proud that it's a role that they resonate with than it is that you say, look, here's what it says on the org chart so that you're in that box. I can tick that off. No, not about that. And for me, it goes back to then being able to understand how are you measuring contribution? Like what's the metric? People get afraid of measuring because they're terrified. This is the big piece of research I did that blew my mind, Gavin, is that if you look at sports teams, and, and I know you've had experience in this world, like they, they now with the technology and everything, they measure everything, don't they? Mm-hmm. Like they measure how many touches everyone's had on the ball, how far Absolutely. they ran, how many miles. They measure everything. And they're not afraid of the measurement because they know that measurement is designed to help them get better. But in business, we have this phobia about measurement because measurement has been used in the past to beat people up, right? KPIs, everyone goes, oh, don't measure me. I don't want to know, mm, right? It's mm. like, hang on a second. If, if we shift the mindset to the fact that measurement is it's the meaning you give to the measure, it's not the measure in itself. That's the key distinction, right? It's not the measure that's the problem, it's the meaning that you're giving it. And when you shift that to a team, all great teams measure everything, right? So that if you look at Olympic rowing team, the British Olympic rowing team, you know, then the great book, you know, um, uh, what makes the boat go faster? Every single thing is boiled down to that one number. Is this going to make the boat go faster? Yes or no? If you look at the British cycling team, they measured every single thing um, in terms of like from the water they drank, the carbs they ate, the pillow they slept on. They realized that if they carried their own pillow around, they had less colds because that was a massive transition piece where they would pick up colds and flip. I'm like, when you and I used to be on the road, I was like, yeah, I'm going everywhere with my own pillow now. I don't sleep in a hotel in a pillow. When I sleep in a hotel, I don't sleep on their pillows because do you know what? If the British Olympic team goes, it keeps you fitter and healthier. Why, why, would, why would I not model that? But they measured everything. And yet in business, we don't like, we're worried about measuring things because there's this fear and phobia that the people are thinking we're checking up on them. We're, and that's just because the intention we're giving to the measurement process. The minute you start to say, actually, we're measuring stuff because it's about how do we get better? How do we get better? How do we improve? How do we play the game at a higher level? Not against anybody else, but against ourselves, right? Personal best. I say to every client I've ever worked with, you know, whether it's in, in my mastermind or one-on-one, I said, what's your personal best? And they always look at me like, what? And I'm like, well, in sport and business, we track a personal best. So like, what's your personal best? What's your best ever month? Best ever year? Best ever sale, right? What's, what are your metrics? And then it's like, well, I don't track any of that. Well, if you don't measure it, you sure as heck can't move it. And if you can't, you know, you're never going to be able to maintain a higher level of performance if you can't measure where you're at. So the metrics are actually key to this. And but So how do you measure contribution? Yeah, great. I mean, it's, I think there's a, there's a number of different ways to do it, but it, it's also a question of saying, okay, great. What is the contribution we're trying to have somebody deliver? So if it's, if it's um, uh, new ideas, so for example, if you happen to be in product innovation, then you're going to measure contribution differently. You're going to measure it by how many ideas are you coming up with that we actually get to market or how many ideas get to test phase. You know, if it's in the customer service, it might be, okay, we're going to measure customer attention we're going to measure average order value or we're going to measure that side of things if it's on the the more refining side you're going to measure the improvements you made through process innovation and process refinement and using data to actually drive better decisions that reduce cost improve efficiency pass savings on to the customers so there are lots of different ways to kind of measure that contribution but it's based on an output from that particular energy and with, with teams, with uh, client teams that you've taken through this process from starting yeah. off with uh, in a box in an org, traditional org chart through to measuring and understanding where they all contribute the best, 
Um, what kind of results has that client seen shift in their business? What kind of improvements have they seen? Uh, huge. I mean, genuinely, I mean, just, I mean, there's, there's the, there's the non-tangibles, which is, um, Trust goes up, which is the first commodity in any team, right? So we have a five-part yeah. formula for building high-performing teams called TEAMS. T stands for trust. It's like if you don't trust the people you work with and they don't trust themselves, they don't trust, you know, you don't trust the people you're around, you, you don't delegate, you don't empower people, um, you spend your life being paranoid and, and worrying about whether someone's doing things you micromanage. And there's a lack of trust usually because there's a lack of understanding. So once you've got a decent understanding of why... Gavin's brilliant at this or Paul's awesome at that, but Paul should never in the world be, you know, do proofreading. It's like, don't ask me to do proofreading. It's just so not my flow. It's the worst thing in the world. And you're going to set me up to fail. If you ask me to do it, you know, you're going to get a better result. If you ask Karen, because Karen's awesome at proofreading and loves doing it and do it all day long. So let Karen do it. It's that it comes back to that. You get everyone in a higher state of energy, positivity and energy. So you, you get that anyway, but I mean, I can give you, um, uh, retail glasses manufacturing company in the UK that's deployed this. In fact, actually, interestingly, over the last six months, um, and especially, uh, you know, and it's made a difference about how they've integrated people who've been off on furlough, how they've kept them engaged. And obviously, they've got a sales team that's that's fairly high on the inspiring and sustaining energy, selling into retail. So they, the way they've kept them engaged with, you know, Friday night beer zooms and all kinds of things like this, because that's what they would need. That's what that energy needs to stay connected, to stay in those relationships. And the result of which was they were able to pivot. They were able to bring in um, PPE kit from uh, from uh, China through their contacts and networks right at the beginning of the whole crisis to serve their community. And, and not only that, ended up growing the business by 20% in the last quarter when most people in that space were just shut down and not doing anything, right? And it opened up new accounts and it got all kinds of things. And it, and it freed, the really interesting thing is that by shifting uh, some of the, the roles on the team freed the owner and the entrepreneur to do the thing that he's really good at, which is building relationships and, and promoting the business. That's his contribution. And he's been doing that on LinkedIn. And, and I mean, they've opened up so many new accounts across the world in Canada and the UK and South Africa and stuff, all because he's able to spend his time doing the stuff that he's brilliant at. Fantastic. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's that, and you know what? Everybody's having more fun doing it, right? Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like people is like business should be a fun enjoyable experience but for most of us it isn't because we're doing stuff that we don't love and we don't feel we deserve because i've struggled with this didn't feel i deserve to give myself permission to to hire people can i share my hiring tip would that be all right we've got time yeah yeah and then we're going to dive in i want to hear about the rest of the team so you got tea for oh, yeah, okay. let me just do this while i remember it because this is because this is one of the most frequent questions i get all the time from people is okay great paul but when do i hire Okay, so first of all, two things on this. Number one, I always say test before you hire a full-time person. So test with a freelancer and see if that role is really a long-term role that you need or whether it's a short-term requirement for a client delivery or contract piece or whether it's a piece of technology that actually you could get 50% you know, of the result with and the team have got the bandwidth to pick up the other side of it. So test, test with an external resource first to see if, you, if it's a real long-term need or a short-term problem you're trying to fix. That's point one. Point two is that you hire people when you can afford their salary at 30%, sorry, at 50% for three months. And, and the reason why I say that is because most people get stuck thinking, I want to hire somebody on 24,000 pounds or dollars or $24,000 a year. Um, okay, great. I've got to have all $24,000 in my, in my bank account to be able to hire them. And I'm like, no, no, no. You have to have three months worth of their salary at 50%. If they can't contribute enough value to make up the other 50% after three months, 
then they're not the right person anyway. So your risk exposure is that much smaller. Now, obviously, you know, if you do the right onboarding, you're going to find out that that person, your goal is to get that person to flow quicker. But that's the metric I always use with every client all the time is the it's look, should we hire test for a couple of months with a freelancer? Yes, it's a permanent role. Okay, great. Long as the budget can cash, as long as we can cash flow for three months at 50% higher, do it. That's always been my advice. And I have to say so far, we've, it's, it's worked out. It's worked out really well and quickly for everybody. You either find out really, really quickly if they're the right person or you find out, yeah, they're not the right person. Let's, let's go look again or redesign the role or, or actually we were wrong. It's not a full-time role. It's a part-time role. Right. So T and teams is trust. Yep. E, uh, e stands for engagement. Yep. Engage and empower. Okay. So if people, again, if, if people are not in a role that they're enjoying or, and they won't tell you this, by the way, they'll just leave and say it was all about salary where every bit of research says people leave because they feel like they're not growing or they're not in, engaged. They don't have a voice. It's nothing to do with salary, but they don't know how to express that. So if they don't feel engaged and empowered to make decisions in an area that they are in control of, because that, that's their flow zone, then yeah, they're not going to participate in the team in the highest possible level. Not, it's just not going to happen. Great. A uh, accountability. Yeah. Part of that people, people, you know, accountability is not a bad thing, right? We all need a level of accountability. I've got a fitness coach. I have to send photos to a nutritionist. You know, that I send photos of everything I'm eating right to the nutritionist and I get feedback on that. That was good. This was bad. Cut that down, improve this. It's like, we all need a level of accountability if we want to get better, but it's about that. Uh, it's about the accountability and it's, it's what I call the, then that leads to a, an acceleration. Accountability acceleration is what the A stands for. So people perform at their best when there's a level of accountability. Military has a level of accountability built in. So does sports teams. You know, you've got to show up. You've got to show up for the training session. You've got to, you know, all of those kind of pieces that are built into those organizations already exist. But somehow in businesses, we don't feel that that structure is a sensible thing. And yet most of us need it, right? Absolutely. Okay. Your M. So M comes down to really to cover things. Number one is measurement. Um, so it's about what are we going to be measuring? We talked about that a bit before, uh, but it's also about mastery. So it's mastery of things like meetings. So like one of my pet hates is that meeting and this research shows this too, is that the proliferation of two things, emails and meetings become the two biggest blocks to companies growing after a certain size which when you consider that you control both of those things is completely insane. It's not market. It's not competition. It's the fact that you end up spending too much time in meetings and too much time on email. And both of those are things that you can sort should be sort should be able to be sorted out with some decent coaching or a decent bit of training to figure that out. The challenge is that most people don't understand who to put in a meeting or how to run a meeting. So you have the wrong person running the wrong type of meeting, or you have the wrong people in the room and you're asking them to contribute in a way that they can't contribute. So give you, give you a really great example. So the number of companies that I've worked with who put brainstorming meetings on and have people who are what we would call sustaining and refining energy. Refining energy needs time to reflect on anything you give them or sustaining energy needs to sit and have time to absorb it. But also then they want to have, they want to be able to read something before they walk in. So they feel fully prepped. Right. And so they sit in a meeting and they stay quiet because they don't want to say anything and be wrong. So the MD goes, oh, those people, they never contribute anything in the meeting. There's no value having them in the meeting. Whereas actually, there's massive value having them in the meeting if you give them enough stuff to research and read before or don't have them in that kind of meeting, but give them the output and then say to them, right, this is the ideas we came up with. Now go away and tell me all the reasons it won't work. Now go away and do all the research about how we'd actually execute that. 
and then and then let them take it from that concept and then work out the implementation bit which is what they're brilliant at and it's yeah. like stop putting everybody in a meeting you don't need everyone yeah. in the yeah. meeting Great. you know <laughs> and your s sorry the s, s, the teams? s okay so um so this is interesting because for me s for me and and this is the research as well which i was you've got people perform best when they feel they're they're in a supported environment so you, you think about support and succession they have two things number one people need to feel supported so you're not in a blame culture so that if they make a mistake they're going to be picked up they're going to be able to say i don't i don't know or i can't do that or i'm struggling or I'm finding that difficult, they've got to feel a level of support, right? They've got to be able to hold their hand up and go, I, I don't know how to do this. Can you imagine a special forces military team not able to say, excuse me, I've got a problem with this machine, and, you know, this gun, or I've got a challenge, I don't know how to drive this. You know, they, no, because they know that they're going to get support from their colleagues because it's life and death. Whereas there's like, support is one of the things that most people don't feel that they they have the support at all they don't feel they're in an environment where they are supported and there's certainly not a succession plan about how are we going to as we grow how are we going to move people in an in the organization and you end up making some of the worst kind of decisions that oh god god how many times have we seen where the obvious one is where you find somebody who's really brilliant as a salesperson because that's their contribution that's their talent that's their skill they're brilliant at it right? Which is about influence and marketing and branding and all of that. That's, uh, that's that, that champion profile, as we call them. That's brilliant at that. And then you go, yeah, we should promote them to management. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And management is completely not the champion profile at all. Right. That's like, that's like absolutely not. Now you can have champion managers, but they need really good people around them to do all the detail because actually managing a sales team is much more of a kind of coach connector role, which is much more about that. And it's about the sustaining energy. It's about analyzing spreadsheets, it's about numbers, it's about coaching. It's not about you being out front, being a star. And people wonder why really successful salespeople make a by and large appalling sales managers because it's a totally different level of contribution and skill set, And like, Stop trying to take people out of their flow because that's what the organization says should happen as a developmental plan. Doesn't have to be that way, right? Make them a key account manager, make them head of global business development, send them to a new territory in a new country. You know, use them in a way that they feel that they're moving on and getting valued, but still in the zone of maximum contribution. So if we want to increase the performance of our teams, then we need to be building trust, yep. uh, engagement and empowerment, accountability uh, in order to be able to accelerate um, measurement and mastery and then a supportive environment. Yeah, you, to be able to call supportive structures because that yep. allows you to not just scale, which I know you're passionate about as well, but the supportive structures allow you to scale, but also then that the succession planning comes off the supportive structures. So if anybody wants to find out more about the, their contribution and the tools you yep. use to help them to diagnose that, how do they do that? Um, great. You can grab a copy of my brand new free um, e-report, e-book. I've written an 18-page book all about this. Tons of great value in there. Just go to contributioncompass.co.uk. Um, you can download it for free. And then there's a 75-minute training that comes with that where I go into it in a lot more depth and you can get that completely free of charge, right? So, so that's contributioncompass.co.uk. Yeah, contribution. Great. Um, or the link. I'll send you the link so you can put the link wherever you want. Um, but yeah, that's there. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. I post every day on LinkedIn with tips and ideas and insights. So connect with me on LinkedIn, Paul Avens. So. Great, Paul. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Gavin, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. And um, I hope I've added value and served your audience. And um, thanks for having me on the show, man. It's been awesome. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul. There were some standout points for me. You know, his five-step model, teams, trust, 
engagement and empowerment, accountability and adaptability, measurement and mastery, and creating a supportive and structure. Those five things essential to building high performing teams about how when you're recruiting people getting clear about what's the contribution you want this person to make to your business and at the time to hire is when you can afford 50% of their salary for three months the first three months and remember to get your free copy of survive and thrive how to secure scale and succeed in business head over to www.surviveandthrive.cc and just for the cost of postage and packaging i'll have survive and thrive book winging its way straight over to you so you can put into the principles into practice straight away to get your business back on course and back thriving again if you like me are an advocate and a lover of the audiobook version you'll find out how you can grab yourself a copy of the audiobook and also how you can shortcut straight to implementing and getting the results straight away in your business you'll love it uh, me taking you through you know, hand in hand really about the things that you can do to Get your business thriving together and implementing all the insights and the benefits of the strategy compass have a great week have a great weekend and i look forward to speaking with you next week you've been listening to the business mastermind podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms enjoy more success and create more impact